Hi everyone, Psalm 2 today. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The earth is in rebellion. But how does God respond? Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now the psalmist says, I will tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So God is going to have the last word. And then the psalmist concludes in verse 10. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2. This one is talking about God's response to the turmoil of the nations. And they're in turmoil because they've cast his law aside. They don't want him over them anymore. They want to govern and rule themselves. God's response is first laughter, and second, he tells them that he has his own king who's going to rule over the nations. And when it says that they are casting their cords apart uh, from Yahweh and against his anointed, the word anointed there in Hebrew is Messiah, which is what we call Jesus. He's the Christ, the Messiah. And so there has been a movement against God and his representative on earth, which back in Israel's time would have been King David or the other kings. And now for us is Jesus Christ. So... I want to point this out real quick. What you have in Psalm 1 is the invitation to follow the way of God's instruction. Blessed is the man who follows God's instruction. In Psalm 2, notice how it ends the way Psalm 1 begins. Psalm 1 said, blessed is the man. Psalm 2 at the end says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so Psalm 1 and 2 are the gateways into the Psalter. And they begin and end with this invitation toward blessing. So Psalm 2, while Psalm 1 says follow God's instruction, Psalm 2 says know who the king is and find refuge in him. I point this out because what I'm seeing today in our nation, in our culture, is people who are putting their refuge not in Messiah, not in Christ, but in a political party or leader. 
Now that's what the nations are doing. They're casting God aside and saying, we've got this, and there's rivalry and there's tension. And the psalmist describes it as an ocean of waves. But God responds to this with laughter. And what's sad to me is that our politics today do not have much mirth in them. We don't find a lot of joy in discussing politics. All we get is tension and people getting upset, so much so that many of us want nothing to do with politics. And rightfully so, I understand that. In fact, the fact that I've mentioned politics may have turned some of you off. Um, only about 25% of people, they say, the, the surveys say, actually follow politics closely. The rest of us are, you know, kind of somewhere like, yeah, yeah, we get a little bit, but we're not that, <laughs> we're not that into it. I get it. But we all have this temptation, especially as Americans, to find in a leader who upholds our values, who talks the way we talk, who sees the world we see it, to put our refuge in them. And that is not the place that the psalm wants us to be. It wants us to put our refuge in the Messiah, in God's Son, Jesus Christ. I came across this article back in January, and I found it incredibly interesting. It's by uh, Sabrina Tavernese from the New York Times. And um, I, thought, I thought what it had to say, especially coming from uh, the New York Times, was pretty interesting. Uh, the the author interviewed 50 people over the course of three different rallies and she's journaling how divided we've become in our politics to the point that it's no longer a matter of preference but it's that we see the other sides with suspicion so i want to read you a couple excerpts and then lead you to the conclusion that we have here in this psalm so uh, she says that in almost 50 interviews at all three rallies that happened in January, you might remember there's a gun rally, um, a women's rights rally, and an abortion rally. Uh, so at all three rallies with activists on the left and the right, many people said they still found common cause with the other side. Yay! The subjects of their ire were politicians, not regular people. But, but. Many others said they disliked and even feared the other side. Democrats described Republicans with words like invasive species and missing brain cells. Young Democratic women said they would not consider dating Republican men. Quote, it's not a good look, one said. Republicans described Democrats as dangerous and brainwashed and acting in a way that defied common sense. Theirs was not a policy divide, but something deeper. A kind of cultural panic at the thought of the other side winning the presidential election this year. In other words, it's the thought of, oh no, my group is not seen, is seen as the loser in our nation. I'd be really scared, said Liz Folsom a yoga instructor, 29 years old, from Virginia Beach, walking out of Women's March in Washington when asked to imagine Mr. Trump winning. My rights wouldn't matter. Everything I value wouldn't matter. We wouldn't be safe anymore. 
Doug Breeding, 66, a retired county worker from rural Virginia who drove five hours on Monday from his home to the gun march in Richmond, thought for a minute when he was asked the same question. I don't think you'd have to change a... Uh, I think you'd have to have a lot of rioting in the streets, he said. Democrats, he said, have taken it to the extreme to the point of tearing our country apart. Ugh. Now listen to this. About 30% of partisans thought the other party was a threat to the nation's well-being in 2014. 30%. But that number rose to the 40 percentile or uh, rose to 40% in 2016. So from 30 to 40% in just a matter of two years, we've now almost gotten to half the nation sees the other party as a threat to dividing the nation. Um, Jonathan Rauch, who's 60, says, I've never seen anything like this. It's like everyone shows up just to boo the other team. You don't even have to like your own team that much. So... The author asks, and I ask too, how did we get here? How do we get to this point where, you know, if we're one party, we see people of the other party as evil, ungodly, or where's your brain? How did we get here? How are... The, the author proposes this. In America these days, the answer is more about psychology than policy. Now, I would agree that our divide is not, is not as big of a... Policy is not the big divide here. There's something else, something deeper. She suggests psychology. I would suggest theology is the problem of the divide here. And here's why. When we place our identity and our sense of belonging in a political party or a political ruler, we have made them or it our refuge and not Christ. This is a theology problem. The nation as a whole has displaced God. Like the nations in Psalm 2, they said, enough with him, we're going to do this our way. And so because we've moved him out of the center, there's this huge hole. And both sides are vying to take that hole, right? They're trying to complete it so that now Americans have no center apart from their political affiliation. Our politics has replaced religion or Christianity, God, in our nation. And I fear that some Christians have fallen into the same way of living. We just sprinkle Jesus in. Um, theology is the problem. In fact, the article went on to say this, just didn't want to admit it, I guess. This was, this is what she said. One driver of rising partisanship, partisanship Mr. Rauch believes, has been the decline of religious affiliation leaving people to turn to politics as a source of identity and mission. Friends, we don't need any other source for identity and mission than Jesus. And the mission is clear. 
The identity is clear in Psalm 2. We belong to his kingdom. And the kingdom's going to include the nations. Revelation talks about every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. We need to get used to belonging, holding the same identity as people who are not like us. And the missions that he's going to rule the world. He's going to take care of the rebels. And so there's this call, like, look, come, serve this king, kiss the sun. And at the end, blessed are all who take refuge in him. He is our refuge. You don't need another identity. You don't need another mission. But worship, serve, and kiss this king. He is worthy of all of our devotion. So, that's politics according to the Psalms. Hopefully that was more enjoyable than maybe the politics you get on cable news. Either way, um, hope you guys are having a great quarantine time. You're making the most of this. With grace and gratitude, this is Pastor Brandon. Thanks for watching.